notifications on your phone? The Bible app verse of the day? You guys get those? Yeah? If you don't have it set up to get those notifications, set it up to get those notifications because once in a while you get those Bible verses and for some reason God is really real ability to um, give you exactly what you need when you need it. Does everybody get the same verse every day? What verse did you get just now? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. This verse is awesome. Did you, did you read it? Who wants to read it for me? Somebody read it. I didn't do it. Somebody read it real nice and loud. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, that he did not sin. I think it's awesome that that we can celebrate and we can have communion and we can come together and and um, join in with him in the sacrifice that he made. Um, he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he did not sin. And um, I think it's awesome. So once again, I, I think it's great to be able to have um, technology and things that help us dive into God's word and get into it better and, and stay uh, in touch with it. I don't know if you saw uh, this week, version actually sent out a, a video about, uh, about how much... How many times people are in the Word just based on their app alone. And um, I think it's a really awesome thing that we are able to um, have those, once again, those pieces of technology that we can grab onto and um, be in God's Word more often. And um, it, it's a great thing. We're in the middle of a, a, a series entitled Interdependence, Relationships Eternal. This is the second to the last one. Next week will be the last one. You won't have to put up with this series any longer uh, after tomorrow. It seems like, or after next week, it seems like everybody's set way in the back today, so I keep scooting my podium closer to you. So <laughs> next week you can sit up front and I won't have to scoot my podium close. Um, why, do you, why do you come to church? What's the point of being here in the service? Why did you get up this morning? Why did you make an effort to be here? Why is it important for you to be here? Uh, what, what makes you just really need to be here? Well, Gallup Poll um, does these, these surveys, and um, here's what they have found. Why most people get, uh, get up in the morning and go to church on a Sunday morning? Why do they go to church services on a Sunday morning? 23% said for spiritual growth and guidance. Well, I think that's a pretty good reason. Um, 20% says it keeps me grounded and guided. Once again, guidance there. Um, 15% said it's my faith that brings me to church on Sunday morning. Uh, 15% said to worship God. Well, that's a good reason. 13% said the fellowship of other members, the community. Wow, nothing wrong with that, right? 12% believe in God and religion. 12% so they, they were brought up that way, and it's tradition. So all of those are really good reasons, right? I think it's awesome to be able to be um, in a local community, in a church, and be grounded, guided, um, given spiritual growth, and given um, that, those things that, that we need to keep moving. 
and keep going every single day. So spirituality in a nutshell, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 10 today. And um, I just want to kind of uh, get us started with this. Uh, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be, you know, have a relationship with God? And um, we can find that in the passage that we're going to read this morning, Luke chapter 10, and starting in verse 25 through 28. And I think it'll be up on the screen uh, if, if everything's working properly. Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25 through 28. Let's read it together. You don't have to read out loud. You can just follow along. You can if you want, but you don't have to. All right. So one day an expert in the religious law stood up, uh, up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Religious law expert. Know any like that? Know anybody that's a religious law expert? An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to have eternal life? What does it, what does it take, God, Jesus, to, to have this eternal life? Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I love it how Jesus turns it back around and answers the question by asking a question. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. So, all of it wrapped up in a nutshell. What, what do we have to do in order to obtain eternal life? Love God, right? We've got to love God. And how, how do we love God? Well, we'll talk about that, but not too much today. We're going to focus more on the, the second part of that, how to love your neighbor as yourself. The second part is the tough one. It's pretty easy to love God for, most, for the most part. What, is, what, is, what does it mean to love God? Well... Uh, we, we're familiar with the, the, um, this concept of everyone has their own love language, right? John taught this class on about love languages. There's lots of books out there that talk about these love languages. What is God's love language? What does it look like to love God? What, is that, what does that mean? Well, it's pretty simple. If, if you break it down to extreme simplicity, it is this. Obey his commands. John chapter 14 and verse 15 says, If you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. That's God's love language. That's what God wants us to do. Obey his commands. Do you love God? Well, ask yourself, are you obeying his commands? Has God asked you to do anything? Well, if he has and you're not doing it, well, maybe you don't really love God. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe, maybe God asked you not to do something and you are doing that. Well, maybe you don't love God. Jesus continues to answer this question. He, he moves a little further in verse 39 of Luke chapter 10. It's in blue because it's not red letter edition. It's the blue letter edition because it's my words added in here. We're going to take a little bit modified version of Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 29 through 37. Jesus answers 
the question. The man wanted to justify his actions in verse 29. And so he asked Jesus, yo, yo, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. Jesus is awesome at this. He replies with a story, and here it goes. A southern redneck was traveling from down through the south side of Chicago. Now picture it. A southern redneck traveling through the south side of Chicago. His Ford, with a pretty good-sized lift, broke down. He was walking to get some help and was attacked by some hoodlums. They stripped him of his boots and smashed his cowboy hat. They snagged his iPhone and Fitbit and beat him up. Left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a pastor came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over on the other side of the road and passed on by. A deacon walked up and and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. Then an Arab Muslim came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Muslim soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his, on his ride and took him to the Holiday Inn, where he told the innkeeper to take care of him. The next day, he handed the hotel owner his credit card and said, Take care of this man. Anything he needs, put it on my American Express, and I will come back later and pick up my card. Now, which of these three would you say is a neighbor to the redneck who was attacked by the hoodlums? The man replied, he didn't even have the audacity to say the name of the person that, or the type of person this man was. The religious man said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What's it take to love our neighbor? What's it going to take? We need to ask ourselves a couple of questions first. We need to ask ourselves a few questions. Like, for instance, who is my neighbor? Write this down. Who's your neighbor? Anyone God brings across your path. Anyone God brings across your path is your neighbor. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Treat them exactly the way you would want to be treated. Pretty simple. Romans chapter 13 verses 9 through 10 says, For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Galatians 5.14 says the, the whole law can be summed up in one simple command. Love your neighbor as yourself. James 2.8 says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. I think we as believers, we tend to want to be, be right more than we want to show real love. I've gotten this statement stuck in my head, but it's still true. I'd, I'd, rather, be, I'd rather do what is right than be right. Now that we have those questions answered, we know who our neighbor is and we know how to love our neighbor. I think it gets a little more confusing than that. Right? We need to go from theory to mess. We need to move from this idealistic thought and this idealistic theory to real life messiness. Oh, it's fine to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that really look like? How does that affect me? What is what is what do my actions how do my actions change in order to get that accomplished? Let's think about it. There's five I'm going to give you five guides today. We're going to cruise through them fairly quickly. But I want to give you five guides to navigate the landmines of compassion overload. There's so much going on in this world. <laughs> There's so much going on in this building. If, if literally, if I tried to get involved in every organization and be involved 100% in every one of these organizations in this building, I would run out of time. There would be no way that I would have the time to do that. None of us could. So it's, it's compassion overload, right? There's, there's so much that we're trying to do and so much we're trying to get, get accomplished. We either go nuts or we just simply give up. We get closed off to this idea that we can help others. Where are you at? You're one or the other. You're either stressed out because there's so much to get accomplished that there's just not enough time and not enough effort in your, in your scale of effort. There's just not enough there to get enough accomplished. Or two, you're closed off to it. You're, you've completely shut down and you no longer see the need that others have. Like the pastor and the deacon who passed by on the other side. You're completely shut off to this whole concept of loving, loving your neighbor as yourself. So with so much going on in the world today, it's either we, we really need to figure out a way to navigate through it. We want to help, but we don't want to be enabling. And, and there's so many drive-by guiltings going on, right? You see, you see them on the side of the road and you just, ah, oh, man, what do I do? So number one, we have to understand that if we're going to move from idealistic theory to real life messiness, we need to understand that we have to have impact in order to have, in order to have impact, we have to have contact. We can't have impact without contact, okay? How many of you have found certain places and certain roads and certain corners of the road that a lot of homeless people tend to hang out in? Do you know places like that? There's several times when I have either not had a care package in my car or felt like I was in a hurry. And I have bypassed the corner that I normally see people standing on. I don't know if I'm the only one that does that. It's very possible. But I think there's times when we bypass those certain spots so that we don't have to help out. 
We can't stay home in our little Christian ghetto and never get out to see what's actually going out on in the world. We've got to get out. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. The song we sang this morning, Shine, Jesus, Shine. How does he shine? He shines through you and through me. That's how he shines. That's how it's possible for Jesus to shine. He can't shine without us. It's impossible. We must be the salt, but we have to be the salt out of the salt shaker. We cannot stay in the salt shaker. We've got to be out there doing something. And it's risky for salt outside the shaker, isn't it? What happens to salt that you see outside the shaker? Is salt in your cucumber? I do. I put a little bit of salt in my cucumber because it, it brings out the sweetness of the cucumber. I put a little bit of salt on it. But guess what? Sometimes when that salt comes out of the shaker, it hits that cucumber and it bounces right off on the table. There's going to be times when we get shaken out of the shaker and we don't end up falling on what we're going to, what we need to, what we need to get accomplished. We're going to land and we're just going to go, blah, 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 you know how salt does. It's risky for salt to be out of the shaker because sometimes you just get swept right off onto the floor. Or maybe you get swept into your hand and put on your plate and then dumped in the sink. There's going to be times when it doesn't feel like we're getting anything accomplished. But you know what? It's not going to work. We're not going to be able to shine like Jesus wants us to shine if we're not outside the shaker. If we're not outside the light shade. That light needs to be placed on a, on a hill so that it can be seen. We are called not to isolate, but to infiltrate. We're not called to isolate. We're called to infiltrate. We don't want to sit around in the salt shaker all day. We want to be out there in the world infiltrating. Going where needs are being met and sticking with it. We need to go towards them. We have to value contact because without contact, we won't have any impact. John 17 and verse 15 says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus is praying. He's asking that God not take us out of the circumstances and out of the situations that we are in. Did you know that God wants you to be in the situation that you're in right now? That's where God wants you. So that you can be an impact wherever you are. I like what Jeremiah 29 says. God's talking to the Israelites. And he says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all captives that have been exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. These people have been taken out of their country, put in prison, put in exile from their country. What does God tell them to do? He says, Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them to, so, that, so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for peace and prosperity in the city where I, I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. What's God telling us to do? 
He's not telling us to isolate. He didn't tell the Israelite people to, um, you know, all of you gather in one part of the city and only stay in your part of town and only do business with, with people who are, are Israelites, <laughs> who are Christians. He says, get out there. Build homes. Plan to stay. We need to act like we're sticking around. Obviously, we know we're not. We know we're going to heaven someday. But let's plan, plan on like we're, we're going to stay here. We're going to be here for this lifetime. And I think a lot of times we think, well, it's, just, it's a short time. We're only going to be here for a short time. So you know what? Let's not, even, let's not even talk to our neighbors. Let's not even try to get established here because we're only going to be here for a short time. No. We're going to be here for a while. Let's settle in. And let's have some impact. By having contact. We have to have contact in order to have impact. Second, justice without Jesus is just a band-aid. We live in a world that seems to think that all roads lead to God. That all roads lead to heaven. You walk around this building even. And many of the most spiritual people in this building think that it doesn't matter what you say or what you do or where you go to services or, or whose God you serve. It's all going to work out in the end. In many ways, it's not a bad thing that there's so many people involved in all of these great causes. But just because we're meeting a need doesn't mean we're living out our faith. Tolerance has been redefined these days. As a Christian, we should be the most tolerant people around. But only if tolerance means you have the right to be wrong. You understand what I mean? Tolerance no longer means you have the right to be wrong. It, it now means that everyone is right. If everyone is right, then we have no right to share the gospel with others. And that's a problem. We have to share the gospel with others. Jesus Christ it was, was brought to this earth to be an impact, to, to contact others and to be an impact on them. If we're not allowed to share the gospel, and if we aren't sharing the gospel, then it's not working. We're not going to have any impact. We've bought into this, this worldly idea. If all we're doing is joining in with the rest of the world and meeting a need, it's nothing more than a band-aid. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, he says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? You can fix every world problem there is, but if you don't share Jesus with them, you've fixed nothing. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Church, if we're not sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people and what he did for them on the cross and the fact that that forgives their sin, we got a problem. There are lots of organizations that have fallen into this trap of thinking that they can help more people if they don't talk about Jesus. It's not going to be us. We're going to be the ones that share the love of Jesus Christ. Justice without Jesus is just a band-aid. Number three, we need to start with your Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus is telling them to get out there and go to get something done. Look what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Where does he start? In Jerusalem. 
throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But where does he start? Right here. If, if we don't get something accomplished right here, we have no business moving anywhere else. It's geographical. We get this idea, this missions myth, that the needs overseas are greater and, and they're more important and they're more noble than the needs that are right here or that are right next door. I'm very proud of our overseas mission and I'm not anti-missions at all. But we get this idea that something that we can get something accomplished over there when we've never done anything here. I think we're getting a lot accomplished here. But I think we, we need to stay focused on that. And as individuals, we need to stay focused on that. We'll all come and I'll serve and I'll do whatever. But you know what? There's a single mom with three kids that has two jobs that lives right next door to you. What have you done for her? How have you been the love of Jesus to her? How can we think that our abilities are worthwhile over there when we've never led anyone to Christ here? I think it's this whole idea that we get to parachute in and then get extracted one or two weeks later and come back to reality. It's called real life messiness. And when we get involved with people, it's going to be messy. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to put us in positions that are simple. And we think that, oh, well, it's okay, it's all right, we're taking care of our family, and we're, we're making sure that everything's okay inside the house. No, we need to make sure that our, our, yes, our needs are being met, but you know, we need to get out there and help those around us see the love of Christ and understand what he did for them. It's much more challenging to get involved in the messy lives of lost ones right next door. Loving our neighbors ourselves doesn't start over there. It starts right here. Start with your Jerusalem. God puts people in your path. That's your neighbor. That's who you need to be helping. Share the love of Christ with them. And number four, not all needs are equal and not all needs should be met. Look at this passage of scripture in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 26. Starting in verse 6. He says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. So what's Jesus doing? He's having dinner with someone that has had leprosy. Uh, he's meeting the needs, but now he's, he's having some dinner with him. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful, beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume. Expensive perfume. Have, have any of you done any research on what this alabaster jar of, of expensive perfume actually cost? I've been told several times several different things, but basically what we're talking about is a year's worth of wages. What's a year's worth of wages worth today? What would you say our average, let's just take our room for example, what would you say our average uh, annual income is in this room? Say 25, 30 maybe? Is that somewhat average? Maybe a little less than some, maybe a little more than others? So let's say this bottle of, of perfume was worth $30,000. Think of something that's worth $30,000 that's expendable. Can you think of anything? I can't really think of anything. What can you think of? A 30, something that's worth $30,000 that's expendable. Maybe a car and you drove off a cliff. I don't know how that would help someone, but if you drove a car off a cliff. Yeah, there are some cars that are worth that. Oh, what's that? 
Oh, right, yeah, some cars definitely need to. $30,000 worth of perfume. And look what she did with it. Verse 7, the end there, it says, And she poured it over his head. The disciples immediately become indignant. They're angry when they saw this. What a waste, they said. I would have, been, I would have joined in with them. If I would have been there, I would have been like, Man, what in the world were you thinking? That's $30,000 worth of perfume that you just dumped on his head. Verse 9, it could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Here we are. More than 2,000 years later, and what are we doing? We're talking about this gift that this woman gave. We need to be careful how we judge how other people spend their money. It's much easier to critique what others are doing with their money than to be honest with what I'm doing with mine. Isn't it? Not all needs are equal. And not all, all needs should be met. The poor are always going to be with us. What's the most important thing? That that individual hears about what Jesus did for them. That's the most important thing. Not all needs are equal and not all needs to be met. Number five and, and last, love without sacrifice is just convenience. Look at this passage in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. It says, so let's not get tired of what is good. And just the right time, for just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. How many of you have gotten tired for, for doing something or from doing something that is good for others? Have you gotten tired? I have. It wasn't very convenient. If we have to be told to continue doing good, that means that it must be more than convenient right I always focus on this whole idea of not giving up about doing good not giving up but you know what I want us to focus on not getting uh, let's not get tired of doing what is good but you know what if <clears throat> if Paul's telling the Galatians church that that they shouldn't get tired for doing something good what what do they must be doing they must have been doing something good right yeah Matthew chapter 20, verse 27, it says, Whoever wants to become first among you must serve the rest of you like a servant or like a slave. In the same way, the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. Five guidelines for loving your neighbor. One, you can't have impact without contact. We've got to get in their lives. Two, Justice without Jesus is just a band-aid. We've got to share the love of Christ with them. We've got to share Jesus with every person we come in contact with. Who's our neighbor? Every one of them. Every person that comes in our path. And we need to start with our Jerusalem. What is God sending you? Who has God put in your life that you can share the love of Christ with? 
Number four, not all needs are equal and not all needs should be met. We need to pick and choose. And the most important thing is sharing the love of Christ with them. Jesus Christ should be shared. And last but not least, love without sacrifice is just convenience. Next week, we're going to learn about how to be a true friend. That's going to be the last in this series. But hopefully today, there's been some things that we've shared about loving our neighbor. And um, that we can share, or that we can, we can build on, and grab a hold of, and we can uh, hold on tight to. And um, maybe change the way we do things in our lives. There may be a lot of great things getting accomplished, but if we're not having an 